Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, all you wonderful, wonderful F1 fans around the world. Even though the 2023 season is done and we're looking more towards the 2024 season, that doesn't mean that here at F101, we will not be bringing you brand new episodes. In fact, it is the totally opposite. We're going to keep you updated on everything you need to know in the world of F1. We still have the year in review episode coming up as well. And absolutely 100% you have tuned in to the newest episode of F101. And as always, we're going to start off this episode with the hot topics. This is everything you need to know in the world of F1. We're going to start off with a little bit of uh, a little bit of history making in the process when it comes to the 2024 season. So let's get right into it. The 2024 grid, which includes which is the drivers, they are staying the same. Everybody has their seat. Everybody is still in the same team. No one has switched. No one has been replaced. Yes, that means Logan Sargent has officially been signed to the Williams team for the 2024 season. Congratulations to Logan Sargent. This also means that this is the first time in F1 history. Yes, F1 history. This is the first time that every single driver will be the same from one season to the next. Now, we're in unprecedented territory here. Um, some people love this goal some people love this historical fact some people think it is a massive negative when it comes to the sport itself for its growth and for the fan base so let's get right into that right now a lot of people have been saying that yeah it's a good thing that we're retaining the drivers because you've got the money that's been invested in them you've got the sponsors happy the fans are obviously happy everyone loves their own fans whether it you're a lewis hamilton fan whether you're a master Verstappen fan uh daniel ricardo fan uh, kevin magnuson doesn't matter who it is the fans love their drivers, which means you get to continue on cheering your drivers throughout the years. The only negative side I could see towards that is the fact that it will stagnate the development of younger drivers, at least for another season. Now, some of these drivers do have contracts that have signed to 2028, 2026, so on and so forth. So a lot of these drivers will be staying where they are, but not every single driver has an extended contract. And what that means that Unless these drivers that have shorter contracts, let's say the, the Haas drivers or Yuki Sonoda, uh, Logan Sargent, uh, Alex Albon, these guys have some of the shorter contracts in F1 right now. Unless something drastic happens in their performance, they're not going to go anywhere for at least another season, which means any of the drivers in the developmental program are stuck where they are again for another season. We have seen in the past and we have seen this season that some F1 drivers that are coming or well, F2 drivers to be future F1 drivers if they're stuck in place too long that they will get snatched up by other organizations. Uh, IndyCar, NASCAR, uh, the Super Series, the Electric Series, all that kind of stuff. There are other places for these drivers to go. Now, it's not Formula One, and that is, for some of these drivers, the ultimate goal they want to get to is Formula One. But at the same time, you still got to be earning a living and you still have to be honing your skills to become an F1 driver. I think this is a good thing and a bad thing at the same time. I like the fact that we're going to see consistency in the grid. You know what all these drivers can do. You've seen how exciting these drivers can be. 
essentially at this point, it kind of just comes down to the car itself. But it's bad at the same time where I want to see the sport grow. I want to see some different names. I want to see the opportunities that the young bucks can bring a challenge to some of these older drivers and some of these veteran drivers. In my opinion, when it comes to sport, whether it's amateur or professional, it's never a bad thing to have new blood what in what you do. And making the veterans work just that little bit harder against the new bloods and the young bucks that want to come in and replace them is never a bad thing. You might find another diamond in the rough. These veterans may find another gear that they didn't know they had and just makes their performance that much better. As far as the development of the teams go, I think it's always a good thing to bring in new names because they've got new personalities, new experiences, new opinions that will ultimately just help the sport itself grow. But that's going to have to wait till at least the 2025 season. Again, unless something drastic happens, a driver gets hurt, somebody gets dropped. One of those things absolutely has to happen for any new name to come up. Speaking of change, when it comes to Formula One, Mercedes has lost one of their longest running sponsors in Formula One. After 14 years, Monster Energy Drink has decided that they will no longer be a major sponsor of the Mercedes Patronus F1 team, which means you will not be seeing the Monster logo on the car at all. But you will see the Monster logo on Lewis Hamilton's helmet still. Monster Energy Drink is also a personal sponsor of Lewis Hamilton. So just because the team doesn't have the sponsor doesn't mean that Lewis Hamilton will lose his sponsorship with that company. He does have a separate contract signed with Monster Energy for a couple more years. So expect to see that big green M on his helmet for the foreseeable future. You're just not going to see it on the car. But Monster Energy Drink isn't just going away. They're not just leaving Formula One for NASCAR or IndyCar. They're just not getting out of the sport in general. They have found a new team to sponsor, an up-and-comer, a team that has put a lot of time, patience, and practicality into their development of not only their drivers, but their cars. And this also means that you Monster Energy Drink fans are potentially getting a new flavor come the 2024 season. Is there any guesses out there? If you guessed McLaren, you are correct. That's right. Monster Energy Drink has signed a brand new contract starting 2024 for the foreseeable future. Uh, exact length of contract has not been released, nor has the money that Monster will be providing to McLaren has been released either. But they are the newest title sponsor of that F1 team. Again, which also means you guys might be getting a papaya flavored Monster Energy Drink come 2024. I'm super stoked for McLaren about this. They're finally picking up what, in my opinion, is a real established sponsor. It's not racing oriented. It's not a cryptocurrency. It's not a manufacturer of parts, technology, security, anything like that. It's not a banking institution. It is an honest to God energy drink that sponsors high end extreme sports just like red bull they've been around forever they've got multiple flavors they're known worldwide it's not a question of oh i don't really know what that sponsorship mean or that sponsorship name is i have to go look it up you see that m you know exactly what that logo stands for it's going to bring in a lot more fans for mclaren and it's going to bring in a lot more money for the drivers and for the team which is always a good thing i think this is very well warranted for mclaren they have taken the right direction in my opinion with their development being the car and the drivers which just proves to establish sponsors that 
hey, you know what? There's other fish in this pond that we can sponsor. We don't have to stay with the same guys until the end of time. So McLaren, congratulations on the new sponsorship. Speaking of things that change and evolve, the new Sprint Weekend list has been revealed for the 2024 season, and we now have six Sprint races this coming up season. I personally think it's two more than you absolutely need, but hey, let's get into it. So we are keeping Austin as a Sprint Weekend. We now are adding Miami and China to the list, which will round out the names of Bra or the places of Brazil, Qatar, and Austin. China, we haven't seen last year. Uh, there was a whole COVID debacle when it came to letting F1 into China. So they just ended up dropping them, period. They did replace the Chinese race with another race last season. But this season, apparently, everything is good to go. So we're automatically making, even though we haven't been there for a couple of years, we're making China automatically a sprint weekend. Don't really know how I feel about that one. I... With these new cars, China hasn't been on the circuit since these new cars came out. So they do have a little bit of history at that track, but it's been redone. And as far as I know, as far as I've been able to find out, is that it hasn't been actually used since they updated it and repaved it, which means you've got a brand new track, which is great because everything's new, everything's state of the art, blah, blah, blah. But now you've got this tarmac that hasn't actually been used. You've got a circuit that's made for F1, which is fantastic. It's not another street circuit. It's an honest-to-God F1 track that really hasn't been used, if at all, over the last couple of years, which means it's going to be oily. There's going to be absolutely no traction to it. There's going to be, you know, you get all these cars and all this extra weight running on the track, and it's going to start to form its personality after that weekend, which means you're not going to get the optimal speed, temperature, grip, all of that jazz. You're not going to get it from this circuit. Now throw on top of that, you're going to throw a sprint weekend on top of that. We don't know what the weather is supposed to be like. We don't know if it's going to be successful. We don't know if it's going to even sell out. In my opinion, bring China back to the list. Absolutely. Bring it, make it a, a Grand Prix weekend. Just don't make it a sprint weekend. Let the guys figure out the track. Let them get it honed in. Let them get their strategy set for the 2025 season and then potentially expand the sprint weekend to China. Now we're going to go, we're going to add Miami to this as well. We're making Miami a sprint weekend. Why are we making Miami a sprint weekend? Just because it was new last year doesn't mean it has to be reinvented, tweaked, and made even bigger for the next season. I don't agree with them adding two more races to the sprint weekend. I would have been more in favor with either keeping it at four, keep it at three, or in my personal opinion, get rid of it totally. I found it more of a distraction last season than it actually was beneficial for F1 itself. Now, as a fan, take Max Verstappen out of it because we know he won pretty damn near everything that was going on this season. Take it out, and it just complicated the weekend to watch, to pay attention to, and to keep track of all the rules and regulations that happened over the sprint weekend that may or may not affect the Grand Prix weekend. and the cost cap and the prices. It was just, in my opinion, it was too much going on over the entire weekend. I see the effort that they were going for and I see the direction they were headed in to try to make it a little separate, try to make it a little bit more interesting for viewers. I understand that, bring a couple, bring some more viewership in there. Okay, I get that. 
But at the same time, last year was the first year of sprint races that you don't need to go bigger the next year. How about you look over? How about you look at the data from the 2023 season? Look it over, analyze it, maybe give it a year. See if viewership drops again because there is no sprint weekend. Maybe you see the viewership go up because there's no sprint weekend. I think they're just diving headfirst a little bit too hard and too fast to see if the sprint format even worked. Some of the drivers liked it. Majority of the drivers hated it, especially with some of the rules that granted they are tweaking for the 2024 rules, but for the 2024 season, I should say, but still it's when your car is in park Ferme because of the first sprint qualifying, you can't touch your car for the entire weekend, which doesn't make any sense on a traditional Grand Prix weekend. You've got a day and a half of practice. You can tweak your car. You can get it to where you want it to be. Then there's qualifying. Then there's your race. But now all of a sudden you throw the sprint part in there. And as soon as you're done qualifying for the sprint weekend, you can't touch your car at all. Like not for the GP, not for the sprint weekend, just whatever your car is in, it's locked in there, which was more of a detriment to most teams. And I think the FIA and the F1 realized Unless you are going to break the rules and you take a pit lane penalty or you take several grid spot penalties and you tweak your car to where it should have been what would have been on a regular weekend, which is what some of the teams ended up doing. They took the hit. They went, okay, so we're going to lose a couple spots or we're going to start from the grid, but now we have the car we need. But then you will let the FI and we'll let F1 know about it and we'll see what they're going to go from there. I think it's information and feedback like that from the teams that they needed to take into consideration. They needed to take an entire year, go over it, sift through the details, all the information, and then make a decision for the 25 season. Yes, it's going to bring in more money theoretically because you can add two more tracks to it to make six to add a sprint weekend. Okay, but I mean, Lewis Hamilton is only right for such a for so long cash is king but it's got to be realistic if there's too much going on people are going to start to pick and choose what they actually watch if you just like the sprint weekend you're just going to watch essentially one day of formula one you're not really going to be able to get into it you're not really going to be able to you know learn which drivers you like the most or really get into maybe the technical side of it or you know you're just going to miss the majority of the atmosphere because of the sprint weekend or you're going to get those diehard veterans that I don't care about the sprint weekend. So I'm going to ignore the new section of it. And we're just going to watch the same Grand Prix formula for the entire season. 50 50 at this point for everyone that I've talked to. Some people love it. Some people don't, but adding two more to the sprint re to the sprint race weekend for the 24 season. I do think it's a little much, and I do think they're going to see a little bit more pushback from the drivers and from the teams for the 2025 season. Next topic, we shouldn't be talking about this already, but some teams like to be very enthusiastic. Some teams like to stay with tradition and some teams like to do the absolute obvious when it comes to talking about car reveals. Yes, we're talking about the revealing of the 2024 cars already. It's, it's halfway through December at the latest. Like, give us some time. But these guys are so excited and the development has been going on for so long that some teams, one team in particular, have announced when they are going to be revealing their 2024 car. It is the same team as announced ridiculously early last season and the season before. 
I'm starting to see a bit of a pattern. Uh, Ferrari has announced that their 2024 car reveal will be, and you have probably guessed it already, February 13th, day before Valentine's Day. Last year, it was on Valentine's Day, if I'm if I'm not totally mistaken. Um, bit of a viewership that watched it, not as many as they could, but Ferrari generally likes to be the first people out, create that buzz already. Ooh, what's it going to look like? What advancements have they done? What color scheme are they going with? They've changed the red from 2022 to 2023. What are they going to do this year? I appreciate where they're going with this. They want to be ahead of the curve. They want to remind people that, hey, we got a brand new car coming up. It's going to be super exciting. I hope you guys tune in, all that kind of fun stuff. But at the same time, you're announcing a car reveal for February in the first half of December. I think it's a little early to be, you know, the first ones out of the gate going, oh, we're going to get this done in February. It's great you're that organized. It's great you've given yourself that deadline. But I'm pretty sure that 90% of the fans and the other 10 of the Scuderia fans are totally going to forget when this happens until the F1 list is officially released again as more dates are revealed generally after the new year. I like it. A little bit ahead of the curve. And on the topics of the the release of the 2024 cars, the FIA and F1 have officially announced that all teams have to cease production and development of their 2026 cars. Now, I appreciate these teams being eager and want to get the best out of their cars, being the first ones out of the gate like Ferrari is for for announcing a car, but you're developing 2026 cars already? 2026 is when a new set of rules engine regulations, aerodynamic rules, engine fuel, all that kind of stuff. There's new regulations for everything that starts to come out in 2026. They've gotten the basis, basic idea of what these regulations will be, but I don't think they have enough information for them to start developing a car for 2026. Now, obviously this is what these guys do for a living and I report on what these guys do for a living, but man, talk about being organized. And moving right on along into the next section, talking about being organized, there has been some rumors that Audi is trying to back out of taking over Salva for 2026. Yes, it is now known as Salva. For those of you who either forgot or didn't listen to the last episode or just missed it, Alfa Romeo has officially ended their sponsorship of the team. Uh, traditionally, it was actually known as Salva Alfa Romeo, and they just kind of just paid enough money to put their name on the car. But... Alfa Romeo was gone, so now it is officially the Salba F1 team. Uh, I have looked over everything, every single piece that I can possibly find. I have dove deep into the articles and listened to the pundits and, you know, asked around myself for people who may know a little bit more. Audi is still planning to take over Salba for the 2026 season. The reports that they were not going to are just absolutely 100% unfounded essentially absolutely not true no way around it um it was just one of those trying to get people excited about the team again so it's it, you got to be careful about what you read you got to be careful about who you listen to and you got to just you know kind of use common sense of like well salvo's already put all this money towards you know getting all this stuff organized for audi to buy them audi has built all of these buildings and infrastructures and all this kind of stuff they're too deep to back out now if Audi were to drop out from buying the Salva team, they would be out like hundreds of millions of dollars. They have their own staff, organization, buildings, developmental equipment specifically designed 
for when they take over Salva. So the rumors are definitely not true. Audi is still going to take over Salba in the 2026 season. And as up until then, Salba will continue as an independent Formula One team until they get taken over, which kind of just leads me perfectly into my next segue. I didn't mean for this to happen, but it just kind of smoothed in quite well. Total Wolf and his wife, Susie Wolf, for a bit were under investigation. And actually, technically, they still are under investigation from the FIA and F1. But what are they under investigation for, you may ask? They're under investigation for essentially what it boils down to is conflict of interest. So for those of you who do not know, Susie Wolf and Total Wolf, obviously, they're married, husband and wife. They have been for years. Total Wolf is part owner of the Mercedes Formula One team. He is also the um, essentially the boss of Mercedes F1 team. He brought in Lewis Hamilton. He takes care of business. It's what he does. Okay. Susie Wolf is essentially the head honcho and runs the F1 Academy. Now, for those of you who don't know what the F1 Academy is, the F1 Academy is the newest rendition of the W Series in Formula One. Now, the W Series was known as the Women's Series, where it was strictly 100% women driving in single seat motorsport with the eventual goal to make it to Formula One. Essentially what the guys were doing, just the cap out at a certain time. So think of the highest rate that the women's series at that time and the F1 Academy now can go is about an F2 car, I do believe, at the highest rendition of it. So obviously they're married. Obviously they're both in charge of very important things in the world of motorsport. The FIA, and F1 got an anonymous tip because they do have a tip line. So it's kind of like, you know, in, in Canada, we got like crime stoppers. If you know somebody did something bad, you can anonymously report them if you have proof and so on and so forth. The FIA and F1 have that as well. It's to report things like conflict of interest, people cheating, okay, taking bribes, things being done illegally, all of those sorts of things, but it's done anonymously. So less than a week ago, and I've been following this since the beginning, so this is why this episode's a little bit late. I want to give you guys as much accurate information as I possibly could, just so I'm not reporting on something that's not true. About a week ago, the FIA and F1 got an anonymous tip that there was a potential conflict of interest between Susie Wolf and Total Wolf. Not an actual conflict of interest, but a potential conflict of interest. The conflict of interest was is that it was potentially suggested that Susie Wolf was sharing information about the F1 Academy with her husband, Total Wolf. And one would obviously assume vice versa. Total Wolf was sharing like secrets, and I'm using massive air quotations, secrets with Susie Wolf um, back and forth on how to, you know, no one knows what they were talking about. So I can't even guess about what they were discussing if they were discussing this at all. So this goes public. The FIA is like, oh, you two are under investigation. I don't know. Somebody, somebody said you guys were had conflict of interest. It's total under investigation. And then it was kind of left for a couple of days. And then we were kind of left in the dark, left in the lurch about what's actually going on. And then all of a sudden, the F1 teams themselves started to come out and release statements saying that we were not aware of any conflict of interest. We did not. Essentially, they were 
telling everybody in the world that, hey, we're not the ones that hit that anonymous line to say that there was a conflict of interest. All 10 teams did this. Essentially, what they did was the first person to release the statement, they just hit copy, paste, and sent it to the rest of the nine teams. The statements were exactly, and I mean verbatim, word, sentence structure, punctuation, all of it, copy, paste, the exact same document across the board. The only thing that changed was the colors from the team and the name of the teams themselves. So all 10 have stated that they were not aware of the conflict of interest, nor did they report any conflict of interest between the two interested parties. Okay, so now the FIA really looks dumb here because they can't say who leaked it because it's supposed to be an anonymous report. And it was an anonymous report through the media. So someone went to the media going, hey, this is what's happening, but it's an anonymous comment, so you can't spill your sources. Normally in an investigation, especially when it comes to something that is this big, like this is a major, major accusation when it comes to conflict of interest because this is not just small teams. This is not small stuff. This is potentially worth, depending on what they were talking about and the conflict itself, this would be worth hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in, you name it, sponsorship, revenue, development, uh, just trade secrets in general, business practices, all of the above, and then some would be involved in this accusation. So normally in any kind of investigation period, the FIA takes it very quietly. They will alert the parties themselves and be like, hey, this is what we've received. This is our next step, one, two, three. Okay, and I have looked into this. I have found all the documents that I can. This is the path that they should have taken. It's very quiet. It's very deliberate. We take our time. If there is anything that we have found and we deem it necessary to share to the world and the other F1 teams, then we're going to let the F1 teams know. And if the information gets out from there, it's kind of like it does what it does. On the flip side, if these accusations turn out to be 100% false, no harm no foul in the public eye because we weren't supposed to know about it. The FIA lets them know that, hey, these accusations were false. We didn't find any evidence of any kind of misconduct or whatever the case may be, and you just move on with your day. But the FIA and all their wisdom, and with the new president, uh, Ben Salam, he likes to do things very publicly. He likes to try to make that big boy statement going, hey, there was an issue going on and we're going to solve it and hear the two people that are involved in and shame on you until we figure it out. Well, with all the 10 teams going, we didn't know anything about it. And this is coming from Mercedes as well. What's the FIA going to do now? So if from my point of view, they have two things to do. They can either totally retract their statement, which makes their big, you guys are under investigation statement, totally useless. It makes the FIA look like they have absolutely no teeth in any kind of administrative capacity at all makes them look dumb publicly which they do already but they just don't want to admit it or two they have to reveal the anonymous source which totally defeats the purpose of having an anonymous tip line for anything that might go wrong because that just sends a dangerous precedent going well if i report something that i know is illegal that these guys will get busted on my name's going to come out and I will get more backlash than the people doing something wrong. So they're damned if they do and they damned if they don't. Here's what I think they should do. I think they should not public 
not publish anything about this from here on out. Do your internal investigation like you were supposed to do. If you find something, you absolutely have to reveal what it is and you have to reveal the source because I'm starting to think that it's not an F1 source that reported this, this negligence, this wrongdoing. I'm starting to think that it was an F1 Academy team. Now, these teams are also now becoming, they're very valuable in their own sense. These women are, these female drivers are astonishing. I've watched a couple of races. They broadcasted a couple of races this season, which is fantastic. The quality of racing is amazing, which is bringing in the attention from the sponsors and the big money which all of a sudden means that the F1 team are now starting to sponsor some of the drivers as part of their driver development program, which is great for the development of the F1 Academy, which also I hope and is my dear hope that it will lead to the road where we will start to see female drivers actually race in Formula One against the guys. I want to see a mixed grid. I want to see everybody at the top of their game competing in the same cars just like they are now, but have that grid, in my opinion, have that grid 50-50. Half men, half women. I want to see them race together. But now this is making me think that with these allegations that have come out, it's an F1 Academy team that is starting to complain about this. Or somebody heard something and they misconstrued it, but it's still on the F1 Academy side, not necessarily on the F1 side, not the big boy teams. But with these sponsorships coming around, Alpine has a couple of drivers. Red Bull has a couple of drivers. Mercedes has a couple of drivers. Uh, I think Aston Martin's got a driver. Like they're starting to get in there, which now still means that, okay, maybe the F1 team didn't complain, but the F1 Academy version of that team did complain, which makes things a lot more complicated, which means they may need to make this, this, this system a lot more streamlined, also a lot more confidential and they need to fix the way they do this. They can't just be publishing shit like these two are under investigation for this massive accusation and nothing comes of it and because they won't reveal their source and because, one, it's not true. <laughs> Going on a bit of a tangent. They need, to, they need to streamline it. They need to tighten it up. That way, when you get an accusation like this, that you do it internally first which means the president of the FIA needs to just fuck right off. He needs to be replaced. Since he's become this, the, the head of the FIA, he is more public than he needs to be. He is trying to make a big bang while he's there. The lifespan of the, the president of the FIA is not exactly a long life expectancy. So you try to make as positive of an impact as you possibly can. Some people do it more quietly. Some people do it more technically. They do it by getting along with F1, by helping the drivers become more exposed to sponsors. They help the sport grow. They bring it to the masses more. They make it more people-friendly. And then you get somebody and some people in that want to make that big boy bang, that I'm the authority, I will clean this sport up, and they end up making it worse. They need to stop. And because they went so public and because they, they went about it the absolutely wrong way during the F1 gala, which was this following weekend where essentially 
it's the driver is getting their rewards for getting first, second, and third in the drivers, and Red Bull gets their official trophy for winning the constructors, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Lewis Hamilton makes a statement that he doesn't, it was a long weekend. He doesn't agree with what the FIA have been doing to Toto and Susie Wolf, that they are amazing people, they work hard, blah, blah, blah. And essentially, in protest, in classic Lewis Hamilton style, he leaves his third place trophy at the gala. He did not forget it. He left it on purpose to make a statement that he did not agree with the FIA and what they were doing. The trophy themselves do not say F1 third place. It's got this big, massive FIA logo on it. He knew what he was doing. I totally agree with him on this statement. The FIA needed to do this quietly. They needed to figure it out first. Now there's talk of legal action that Susie and Total Wolf can take against the FIA, that Mercedes and can also take against the FIA as well as the F1 Academy because essentially what they're doing is it's a massive, massive black eye on all everybody involved going, you're bad until proven wrong, which is not the way you do it. You do it quietly. If there is something to fix, you fix it, but you don't go about it this publicly. For my two cents, do I actually think there was a conflict of interest? Absolutely not. I don't, they're married. Of course, how many of you go home and don't talk to your spouse about your day? Everybody does it. Every your girlfriend, uh, girlfriend, boyfriend, fiance, husband, wife, significant other, whatever it is, you, you talk to them about your day, how it went, the good parts, the bad parts. And if you're anything like myself and my wife, you want to try to help each other make a bad day better. Well, maybe you try this next time. Maybe you take about it this way. You know, you, you try to find that balance of how to help each other out on a bad day, which when you break it down to it, that's probably what Susie and Total were doing. Someone was having a bad day. Someone recommends you, you know, hey, try doing this. It's a basic conversation back and forth. There is no conflict of interest. They need to bury this. I also think the FIA needs to do a public apology to Mercedes, to Total Wolf, to Susie Wolf saying that there was no allegations that they were actually wrong. Now, will they actually do this? I'm not exactly about to hold my breath. And the last topic this week that we are going to talk about, Zach Brown. We like him. We like Zach Brown. He is the head honcho at McLaren F1 Racing. He has come out to publicly endorse Andretti joining Formula One. This is just yet another nail in the FIA coffin when it comes to trying to stop Andretti from coming into Formula One. I do think this is the first of many nails to uh, kill the backlash in Formula One from the teams against Andretti. I think they're going to start to realize how much value he will bring to Formula One, not just with fans, but they're giving the teams other options for an engine developer with Cadillac and GMC. They will be an engine developer come 2028. It is, it is a, they are a constructor team. They are in it to win it. They're showing everybody that they're doing this because they want to, because they mean to, because they actually have a passion for it. So Zach Brown officially endorsing the Andretti team coming into Formula One. I do expect other teams to slowly start to support Andretti until you come to that time where you actually have to vote on it. There is no timeline on when the teams have to vote yes or no to bringing another team in. 
Hopefully it doesn't last any longer than an actual year. This has been a bit of a gong show as it is for Andretti and for Formula One fans. So Zach Brown, it's another checkbook in my, another check. Yeah, another check in my book, making you a, a fantastic Formula One leader, uh, supporting the Andretti. Hopefully other teams will do the same thing. And that is the end of the hot topics for this episode. That is everything you need to know in the world of F1. Well, folks, there you have it. Another wonderful episode. Thank you again for joining me. A little bit of a different format today, a little bit of a shorter episode for everybody out there. Um, there was just a lot of information that I wanted to let you guys know about. Some of these hot topics that we covered today will be affecting some of the rules for the 2024 season. Rules, regulations, heck, we may even see a brand new FIA president start of the 2024 season. You never quite know, which is why I thank everybody for tuning in. And speaking of tuning in next week, it is the big episode. It is the year in review. We will be talking about the 2023 Formula One season. We're going to be reviewing the drivers, where they stacked up this year compared to last year, and what may have gone really right and what may have gone really wrong for them. We'll also be talking about the constructors. Again, same thing, where the teams went right where the teams did wrong. And at the very end, I'm going to make some predictions for the 2024 season. Some directions I hope I want to see some of the teams go and potentially some rules that I would really like to see changed. But until then, see you next episode.